following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. As the fourth and fifth graders are taken off, if you would, open up your Bible or electronic device to Matthew chapter 7. We are finishing the Sermon on the Mount this morning in Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can download the ESV, English Standard Version of the Bible, on any app store. It is completely free. You can find that online too as well. You never opened up the Bible before in your entire life. Uh, that's okay. The big numbers are the chapters. The small numbers are going to be the verses. Matthew is in what we call the New Testament, which is the first gospel about Jesus's life. There's four gospels. And the gospel is that Christ came, died, and then he rose again. We believe that here at Community Gospel Church, that if you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Savior, that his blood covers your sin, the Bible tells us you will be saved. If you have any questions about that, right in the front pew, you'll see a little blue bookmark. It says, may I ask you a question? And you can see uh, exactly what it means to have a relationship with Jesus there. Also, just wanted to let you know, we're going to take communion uh, in just a little bit. And if you have any questions on communion, what communion is, what communion looks like, there's a little white card in front of you. you in your pew. It just says, hey, what is communion? And four little simple questions uh, that you can ask yourself if you should be taking communion today. It is Super Bowl Sunday. If this is your first week and you didn't wear a jersey, don't worry about it. You can wear it next week. Okay? We can wear a jersey anytime that you want. Um, But it is Super Bowl Sunday, and let's just uh, look at our neighbor and say either the 49ers or the Chiefs. Real quick, 49ers or Chiefs. And then look at your neighbor and say, it doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant. All right. (laughs) I lost them. They all left. They're all gone. Man, it is an interesting uh, day, but it's also been an interesting month. Man, if we look back uh, just at January 2020, where we're at and where we're sitting at, it's crazy to think about what's going on and transpiring in our country. Uh, There are things that are going on in our government with impeachment hearings. Uh, Just last week, we learned of tragic deaths of celebrities and their uh, daughter, their kids, other families. There are a massive amount of things going on in our country right now that cause us just to wonder, man, is God really in control? Is he really in control? Does he really know what's going on? Does he really have a bead here on what's transpiring? And we know for sure that in the Bible, all God's word, those 66 books, as well as his promises have all come true. And the song that we just sang is correct. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And we're going to look at that here today in Matthew chapter 7. If you would go ahead and look at that, Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 to be exact. This is what Jesus has to say for us today. Not my words, Jesus' words here penned by our author, Matthew, who used to be a tax collector, came to know Jesus. Uh, He lived a life of sin. And he says here that Jesus spoke, everyone. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. But guess what? Didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine, on the other hand, and does not do them 
will be like a foolish man or a foolish woman who built his or her house on the sand. And when those rains came and when those floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, it fell. Now notice Jesus here adds a little bit of an emphasis where he says it fell with a great crash. Maybe some of your translations say great was the fall of it. Interesting passage of scripture. Let me pray for clarity and then we'll get rolling. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and that it's truth and it's applicable just as much for today as it was back then. Help me to be clear here as we look at this text. And God, uh, may we articulate in a way that it's not just knowledge that puffs us up so that we think we're better than somebody else because of what we know, but help us to live it out in all areas of our life, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our uh, homes, the various places that we populate. And may all we say and do here in these next few minutes be sweet song in your ear. May be honored and glorified as uh, we continue to look for the best that is to come when Jesus calls us home. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Jesus, as he closes here in verse 24, he fulfills the law. And we know in verses prior that fulfillment of the law is a law and the prophets. The law is those first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Jesus fulfills all of those things in the Old Testament in regards to what people said about him. And then in these prophets, these major and minor prophets that start to speak about this Messiah who will come. And he fulfills all of those things in a way here that is really interesting. Because he concludes his sermon much like two big chapters in the Old Testament. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, and Deuteronomy, chapter 28, they close with a promise and a warning. So if you're gathered there and you're hear Jesus talk and you're listening to him speak, he's going to speak in a way that you understand because we know that everything that you know hinges off these promises and then what happens from those promises if they're accepted or ignored. Jesus says here, as we already read, that there are two house builders or two different kinds of houses. There's one on sand and then there's one on rock. Now this goes with everything that he has already said in the previous verses. So if you haven't had a chance to understand what Jesus has already said, you can go on our website, communitygospelchurch.com, and go back and listen to some of those messages about how it's either one way or the other way. For example, Jesus says there's no middle ground in regards to bearing fruit. Either you produce bad fruit or you produce good fruit. He says there's no middle road. There's either a narrow road that has a small gate or a wide road that has a wide gate. You either take one of those two things. And a lot of people are going to look at this passage and they're going to say, man, this passage applies specifically to just today. Well, that's true. It does apply to today and today's things that we're facing. What we know is Jesus is ultimately talking about the end. Last week, Craig did such a great job. Craig Clapper was here, and he did a great job talking about the two days. There is this day, today, and there is that day when God is going to call into account what we have done. And what Jesus is striving to articulate here is what is going to happen on that day just as much as today. So there's a foundation that we have to build here, though. Look at verse 24. He says, everyone. You can go ahead and circle that in your Bible if you want to. If you're on an electronic device and you circle it, it's going to be a little bit awkward. But, you know, if the Holy Spirit leads, go for it. As he says, everyone, he says it very intense. Everyone. It's kind of like you who are parents. You say, both of you, get down here right now, right? You didn't just say one. You say, both of them, sit on the couch. We're going to have a conversation. Very straightforward to two groups of people. 
There are the disciples who are gathered there, these 12 individuals who have, he has called and are following him. And then there's also all these disciples who have left everything to hear what Jesus has to say. But there's also another group in there. So you have these disciples, but you also have the doubters, scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law. People are trying to gain ammunition on whether or not Jesus is the Christ. And if he's not the Christ, then they're going to ultimately kill him. And so Jesus speaks here to everyone. He says, doubters and disciples. And it goes from that place to here we are gathered today. And he says, everyone who hears. Now, that word hears is an interesting word because in the original language, the Bible and the Old Testament written in, the Greek, er, written in Hebrew, New Testament's written in Greek. And in the Greek, it says very specifically that word obey or that word hear is the word obey. So what Jesus is saying here is that his true followers not only just listen to his words, but they act in obedience on his words. And Jesus says, all of you have heard the message that I have said to you, and now it's up to you. Will you do what it says? Now, James, the stepbrother of Jesus, he got this. In James chapter uh, 1, verse 22, he says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. If you look carefully into the perfect law, Old Testament law, and the laws in which Jesus fulfills, you will see that it will set you free. James continues, he says, if you do what that word says, if you do those words that Jesus talks about, and don't forget what you have heard, guess what? God will bless you for that. Isn't that amazing? God will bless you. It doesn't mean monetarily. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a bigger house or a bigger car or all those other things. No, not necessarily. God will bless you internally. You'll have peace and joy, and you will know that your salvation is secured. Now, I was thinking about this as I was studying it, and it is Super Bowl Sunday, and I don't have a dog in this fight, so uh, honestly, I'm just going at it from the commercial standpoint. Amen? Anyone? Okay. And uh, what I realized is, though, if you were to go and you were to study these two teams, the coaches have done due diligence on the other side, right? They've studied game film, they've walked through kind of all of these things, they've talked to their players, and they gathered them up, and they have given them a playbook on how they're going to succeed. So they've looked at them, and they said, hey guys, this is how you defeat the enemy, and they laid out that book, and they said, if you do these things, we'll win the game. It's going to happen today. They're going to gather in their uh, locker rooms, they're going to sit down together, and they're going to say, okay guys, you know, the, you know the plan, you know what you're supposed to do, you know what you're called and commanded to do, and the players, ready for this, have a choice on whether or not they're going to listen and do what their coaches require, or they're going to disobey. They're going to do what they want to do. God looks at us very similarly, and he says, listen, I've already given you the playbook. It is in your lap, but now you have to live it out. You have to actually do. And here's the crazy thing about our relationship with Jesus. He looks at us all the time, and he says, prove me wrong. There's no other religion, faith, whatever you want to call it out there, that the leader looks at you and says, hey, go and see if I'm wrong. He says, prove me wrong. Go ahead, see if there's something else out there that surpasses what I have given to you. People may have received God's word. As a matter of fact, there's so many people who say, I know Jesus' playbook. I know what he's talking about. I know all about heaven and prayer and fasting and all these other things. But they don't live out those words. And Jesus, before he goes into anything else, he says, listen, I am concerned. And I am concerned that your walk lines up with your talk. I am concerned that your life lives up with my word. Now, does that mean we have to be perfect? Nope. We're all going to fall short of that. May I prove that every single day? Right? But striving for perfection is what Jesus is looking for here. 
He says, I want to make sure that you're implementing what you know to be true. And if you ever wonder, if you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, then you can evaluate your life and you could say, man, am I like the wise man or the foolish man? So there's two kind of tests that we take here in the text. Am I the wise man or am I the foolish man? Well, let's keep going. Verse 24, second part. To the wise. To the wise, I want you to live or to be obedient like a wise man. What is a wise man? A wise man in context usually is, or a wise man, sorry, out of context in the Bible is usually just straightforward. He's one who has wisdom, okay? But here in context, it adds a little bit more. It is a man of good judgment, somebody who is sensible. It is the opposite of a fool. (laughs) Now, the word fool is interesting in the Bible because you know how it translates over from Greek to English? A fool is a stupid person, right? Straight up, that's it. He's a stupid person. So the opposite of being stupid is to not be stupid, all right? And he says, don't be stupid. And if you're not stupid, you'll be wise. Jesus here says the wise person, first and foremost, trusts him in a relationship with him. So the first thing that makes us wise in Jesus' eyes is we confess that we're sinners and believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. That's the first step to wisdom. And it's amazing how many people I talk to have sat in church their whole life and can't articulate the gospel. I have the awesome opportunity to teach a couple classes at Grace College, and I'll go up to my students and I'll say, every single time we start a class, give me the gospel. What is the gospel? Huh? What? I don't know. These are students at a Christian college. We should know this. We, as a body of believers who sit in these pews, we should know this. And I don't say that to you to beat you up but man it's right in front of us and it's very simple first thessalonians says christ came died and rose again if you confess that you're a sinner and believe in your heart jesus christ is the savior you will be saved that simple jesus wants you to make a decision to follow him and that is the start of wisdom that it's not on my rock it's on christ's rock okay well a lot of us have done that we're like hey i'm a believer i get it i'm a follower of the way the truth and the life now what do i do well jesus says now you got to become more like me Oh, that's a little tricky, right? To become more like Christ is a word that we call sanctification. Now, here's interesting. When we receive Christ in salvation, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Isn't it amazing that Jesus looks at us and he says, I have become wisdom for you. Before coming to Jesus, you're stupid, all right? I'm stupid. You come to Jesus and he says, now I'm going to give you everything that you need for life and godliness. And when Jesus looks at us, he says, I'll be your righteousness, I'll be your sanctification, I'll be your redemption, I'll be all of these big words that nobody else knows. And he says, in forgiveness of sin, that doesn't mean that we sit back and relax on it. So to build our house on the rock does not mean that we sit back and we're passive with our faith. We do this all the time, we accept Jesus and then we just go into kind of relax mode. We just hit airplane mode and we think to ourselves all right i'm just going to cruise from here until eternity and then when jesus calls me home i'm just gonna look at him and say hey i accepted you isn't that enough and he's gonna say it is but man you could have had so much more you could have daily drawn near to me and that's what jesus is calling us to do here he says i want you to draw near to me so i can give you a life of purpose wise men and women are so impressed by God's holiness and the righteousness that he gives to us that it leads us to harvesting maturity at all times. We are so infatuated with the fact that God would love the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that it leads us to daily die to ourselves and go back into what it means to be like Jesus. 
So he says, this is our house on the rock. Now, you've got to transport to Israel to really understand. I've been to Israel twice, had the opportunity to go there twice. Every time I go there, they think I'm an Israeli, and I'm really not. <laughs> um, usually, it's around No Shave November when we've gone both times. So I had this big old beard, and man, we would be like right next to Israeli soldiers, and they're like, you security? And I'm like, no, man. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a funny story. We were coming back once from Israel, and uh, we got flagged. Matter of fact, we were flagged for like an hour in the airport. Finally, I look at the lady and I said, hey, how come you have detained us for so long? She said, I don't want to be offensive, but you're much younger than everybody else who is in your group. And I said, amen, amen to that. <laughs> I said, but I just want to get home. In Israel, it's really interesting, the, the uh, area is called Palestine. And in Palestine, um, it doesn't really rain a whole lot. As a matter of fact, it, it hardly rains. And so we're sitting there, and we're eating lunch one time in, uh, in uh, Jerusalem, I think it was, and all of a sudden, it started to rain. And I tell you what, these people in this restaurant, their eyes just got really big. And I thought to myself, wow, they're really excited that it rains. And they were, because it very rarely rains. And so, but we saw their eyes get big from excitement, first of all, and then they got really nervous. You want to know Why? Because if your house isn't built on a secure foundation, it's going to be swept away because a little rain causes much damage in Israel. And so what we see here, what transpires is that Jesus is saying, not only do you build your house on the rock, to build your house on the rock means you build up. You keep going in an opportunity of maturity where you're building up. You're continuing to build up. That's why Colossians chapter 3 says, keep seeking the things above. Now, the amazing thing was when we were sitting there, uh, our tour guide, like three hours uh, after it had started to rain, he looks at us and he says, we have to take another route. We said, we've got to take another route. Why we got to take another route? He said, the road that we were going to travel has been completely wiped away because it wasn't built on a solid foundation. And so what Jesus says here is he says, the wise man, the wise woman is the one who builds their house high on the rock, continually coming back to the, to the foundation, knowing that that's the assurance of strength. My dad and I, we used to go fishing in Rainy Lake, Canada every single year. Awesome opportunity. Uh, we were on the water one time and there's these little islands and you can see all these houses uh, that are on these islands. And as we were looking at these houses, I looked at my dad and I said, dad, I said, there's a truck on that island. He said, yeah, how do I get the truck over on the island? He says, well, the ice that comes in will, um, will come in in the cold and it will essentially cover that whole, uh, it'll cover the lake. And he says, no, you can drive on that to get to the house. And I was like, whoa, awesome. And I said, but dad, look at the house. It's got these big, huge beams and they're way up high. I said, why would they build up high? He says, because they got to get away from the elements. They build on the rocky ground high. So when the elements come, it doesn't wash things away. You seek higher ground. There's only two houses, low and high. There's only two roads, two gates, two trees, two fruits. And Jesus says you have to act on those things. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in where? The heavenly places the things that are above. You seek the things that are above. Now, three elements come, right? You got rain, floods, and winds. The rains and the floods are better translated, the rains came and the flood waters rose. So that helps us a little bit where Jesus is saying, seek the things above, build up, look up, make sure that you're constantly seeking the things that are above. 
And what we realize here is this is a metaphor, first and foremost, obviously for tragedies and hardships that people go through this day, but also it is a call for us to continue to cling to Christ for that day. So when Jesus starts to talk about this, he realizes that you're going to go through things and issues in your life. And those things and issues that you go through in your life will give you validity on whether or not you are grounded and founded on the rock. Let me give you some examples, okay? You're going to go through hardships. People are going to gossip about you. You're going to have false accusations about you when you live like Jesus. You're going to lose friends when you live like Jesus. You're going to lose things when you live like Jesus. And you're going to wonder to yourself, is it really worth it? And every single trial and tribulation that we go through, the Bible tells us you, can, you should consider it pure joy because that gives us strength. Now, the interesting thing is, is there a case study that we have that we could go back to to prove that this is true? Well, isn't it amazing that the Old Testament speaks very much into the New Testament and the New Testament speaks into the Old Testament? Consider my servant, Job. Job, in the Old Testament, went through all of this stuff. He's got the assaults of the devil. He uh, has uh, calamities fall on him. He's sick. He's ill. And yet, the Bible says he stood immovable because he was founded and grounded on the rock. What about the 12 disciples? When the waves of the world came and beat against them, nations were against them. All their people were against them. Strangers were against them. Evil spirits were against them. The devil himself wanted a piece of them. And they were grounded on the rock. The goal here is to remain steadfast. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill your body, because they cannot kill your soul when you're grounded on the rock. You should fear the one who can destroy both your soul and your body. Rocks are either your greatest enemy or your best friend. I'll never forget. Remember uh, last year when the stormy season started to happen? Man, I love sitting on the front porch watching like the tornadoes roll in. Like, I just think it's so fun. Bethany and the girls, on the other hand, a little different story, okay? They go to the basement, they turn on the TV, and they go, we're all sleeping in the same room tonight, and we're sleeping right down here, all right? And Bethany will look at me and she'll say, Jordan, you need to come in. And I said, why don't you come in? She'll say, there's a ginormous rock in our front yard and it's gonna hit you right in the head. Because you're foolish. And I know what foolish means, right? <clears throat> it all depends on positioning. The foundation determines the ability of a structure to withstand the elements. Proper positioning gives a proper perspective change. Where I am positioned changes my perception. And if I am grounded on sand, then I'm going to fall. But if my feet are on the rock, nothing can shake me. It doesn't matter what's going on at school or work or home or the government or whatever. We know that God's in control. We are immovable objects when we are grounded on the rock. The question on the table is, have you checked the foundation lately? Because oftentimes we get off balance and we forget that our feet are grounded on the rock because we don't go back to the word. We don't go back to the Bible. There are people who are uh, dealing with so many life issues, situations and circumstances. They say, man, it just feels like my life is crumbling and falling. I'm like, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes, I've confessed with my mouth. I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, but where is he? I was like, he's right here. 
but you have not checked the foundation to make sure that you have strength. What about people who are sick or going through trauma or sorrow? God is in control. There's nothing that brings me great joy than going to visit somebody in the hospital and they're going through something, they're going through some things. I'm like, hey, how are you? And they're like, man, God is good. He is in control. He is faithful. They have checked the foundation, okay? Now, here's the crazy thing. We as a church have an opportunity, an obligation, and a responsibility to make sure that other people are checking the foundation too as well. Because sometimes we lose our focus. We are called and commanded to tell our brothers and sisters that, hey, go back to the rock, go back to the rock, go back to the rock. You're losing your footing because you're not going back to the rock. Isn't it amazing that the spiritual disciplines, the things that God calls us to do, you can only do half of them by yourself. You need people to complete the other half. So the things that God calls us to do that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you can only do half of those by yourself. The other half, you need people in your life. And let me tell you something. When people start proclaiming the rock, it's not always received well. Amen? There are times we look at it and we just want to lash out. We want to look at them and be like, hey, stop. You are pummeling me. But we have to remember, it's not them. It's the Holy Spirit who teaches and convicts. Now, we can say it in love, and we should. And we are called to be gentle, but we're also called to be bold. For this life, today, but also for the one to come. So to the wise, Jesus says, you live like Christ. You put into practice. You make sure that you're doing those things. And what happens if I don't? Well, look at the second half of the passage, verse 26. To the fool, it would be rejection of this. Failing to accept God's wisdom is to reject it. So that fool is a stupid person, a person who has no sense. Now notice here, don't miss this, because this is fascinating when I look at this text. Both the wise man and the fool build houses. As a matter of fact, both of those houses look very similar. So it's hard, excuse me, to tell the difference unless the storms come. It's hard to tell who's really grounded unless the storms come. That house on the sand is the opposite of the rock. And Jesus says those who turn away will have their life crumble. And the word there is with a great crash. You may think you're doing okay in this life for a season. But when that day comes, you'll realize that it was forever. My kids love building sandcastles at the beach. I mean, they just think it's great. It doesn't matter if we're in Michigan or by the ocean. They think it's so fun. Man, they build these sandcastles. And here's the thing. I am guaranteed, 100%, none of their sandcastles still exist. And I don't have the heart to tell them that. So if you can just refrain from that today and not tell my kids that none of their sandcastles are still around, that would mean the world to me. But they're not there. Why do we know? Because the rains came and the floods came up and all of those sandcastles left. If the rock speaks to Christ, the sand speaks to those who are lost in their legalism to obtain their own righteousness from their works. If the rock speaks to Christ, the sand speaks to those who are foolish, who think that their worship of themselves and their works of righteousness will get them to heaven. But not only that, we'll get them things like self-confidence, friendships, all of the things in the now too as well. Paul will say this in Galatians chapter 2. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for no reason. 
And he tells a young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Jesus who saved us has called us with a holy calling. Not according to what? Our works. It's not according to things we do. Our works are merely worship either to ourselves or to our Savior. But according to his purpose and grace which was granted to us in Jesus Christ from all eternity. As character, as we learned in the past couple of verses, is revealed to us by fruit, faith is also manifested to us by storms. And when the storms of life come, we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt where we're really grounded upon. We shouldn't reject the hardships of life. We should welcome them, lean into those problems, see what they're speaking to us, and how are we supposed to respond. Jesus here is calling for radical discipleship that the believer would lean into the storms of life, that the believer would say that, yes, all of these things that Jesus proclaims can come from seasons of good times and seasons of hardships. I talk to so many people, and they have adopted this lie of truth for themselves. We call this relativism. They say, whatever's true for you is true for you, and whatever's true for me is true for me. That never works. And what he says here is he says, fools will reject absolute truth to feel better about themselves, but it will only last for a season. Christ doesn't want you to feel better. He is not concerned about your emotional state of feeling good. He wants you to be holy. Christ doesn't look at us and say, man, I just hope you're happy. No, he says, my prayer is that you're holy, that you're set apart, that you're realizing that in all of these things, you're claiming my truth. I can't claim my own truth. I'm simply wrong too often. We need this Savior. And what happens at the very end? This is amazing. The very end of that passage of Scripture, did you catch it? And the people were astonished. They were blown away by what he said. I mean, there's like mouth drop, mic drop, everything drops. right? And they're just looking at it going, whoa, this Jesus guy, he's something else. Did you hear that? He's amazing. They were cut to the heart is what the original language says. Now, follow. Amazement doesn't equal acceptance. Amazement doesn't mean that they accepted his words. As a matter of fact, I think more people walked away and said, man, what a good message. Man, what a good sermon. Man, what a good Sunday. Amazement does not equal acceptance or submission. People leave churches all the time feeling good. People leave concerts all the time feeling good. People leave musical events all the time feeling good. Man, I just feel good, right? But Christ says, I want you to feel godly, and I want you to know that you're godly when you're grounded on the rock. Think, think, think. Am I more concerned about feeling good, or am I more concerned about pursuing holiness? and being like Christ. I'm reading this book right now. It's called The Same Kind of Different as Me. It's really interesting. It's about um, essentially uh, like segregation back in 60s and 70s and just the way that people treated each other, which is it's just a fascinating um, novel. And in the very first part of the novel, I was, I was listening to it. I listened to audiobooks um, from time to time. And this is the first couple of words in the whole book. And I thought, that's my sermon. The guy says, a poor Lazarus, poor as I, when he died, 
he had a home on high. The rich man died and he lived so well. And when he died, he had a home in hell. You better get a home on the rock, don't you see? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your truth and uh, that we can be grounded on your word. And we want to be wise. Lord Jesus, help us to be wise. If you're gathered here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the first step for you is that you would confess that you are a sinner. You have missed the mark. If I'm the first person that's telling you that, good. You have missed the standard. God's standard is perfection. He calls us to be perfect, and we miss. We've lied, we've cheated, we've stolen, we've had impure thoughts. The list goes on and on and on. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your first step to become a wise man or woman is to trust Christ. That you would confess with your mouth, God, I am a sinner. And believe in your heart that Christ's blood that was shed because he was a perfect sacrifice. The word there is propitiation. That his blood that was shed on the cross was for you. He lived a perfect life. He was a perfect man. He was a perfect God. And he wants a relationship with you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever, that's you and me, would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is not a condemnation. He is a salvation. Stop seeing him as a condemnation and start seeing him as a salvation. And when you see him as a salvation, accept that, and you will be wise. Now, God, so many of us have done that here today. We find ourselves sitting in the pews, and for me, standing here, um, we have accepted you as Savior. So what do we do? Well, we got to remain grounded on the rock. And so what that means is we repent of ourselves and the ways that we worship ourselves and the ways that we want to seem better to the world and the ways that we want to do more so that we contain our own righteousness. We repent of that individually and collectively and corporately. And we ask that we would go back to being set apart. And Jesus, the prayer here today is that we welcome the seasons where everything's good, where the water is still. And we praise you for those seasons. But God, also, we praise you for the seasons of hardship, of trials and tribulations and suffering. And for those who are gathered here today, may they not, myself included, be discouraged. But may the Holy Spirit, who lives within us when we received you, teach us and train us and instruct us to constantly and continually humble ourselves so that we can be more like you. May we strive in everything that we think, say, and do to be like Jesus. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No matter what season we find ourselves in, God, may we sing so passionately. May we sing so heartfelt that it's on you the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.